one of the most important movements in the history of the world, a movement that has profoundly affected the shape of the world as we know it today, that movement formally began with these words. Take a look on the screen here. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That's a pretty good statement, isn't it? When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, Matthew 4.17, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That statement is number one out of 95 theses or propositions written by a German friar named Martin Luther. As you may know, the movement that Luther helped birth would eventually be known as the Protestant Reformation. Luther had publicly posted this document in 1517 in order to provoke a debate uh, about the Roman Catholic teaching concerning something called indulgences, the selling of indulgences. Though Luther's argument was lengthy, 95 points to be exact, in case you missed that, one of the basic issues was this. The selling of indulgences, these were, this was said to be grace that would reduce your punishment for sin, that sale, that transaction, ultimately weakened God's call to genuine, heartfelt repentance. But what is repentance? What is repentance? It's a, it's a great Bible word, isn't it? <laughs> it's a great word. It sounds maybe a little antiquated today. It kind of sounds like one of those words that is from a, a, a bygone era. People don't use it a lot kind of out there in the world in common conversation or in, in, in media, uh, uh, modern media. But it is such an important word. It's hard to even overstate how important this word is. But can we define it? Do we as God's people understand that word? What is repentance? And for disciples of Jesus, what part does it play in our daily pursuit of Christ? Let's consider this question as we consider the beginning of another movement, moving from the Protestant Reformation to another movement. Turn to Matthew 3, if you're not there already, Matthew chapter 3, from our Bible reading plan last week. Where we find ourselves in Matthew's Gospel... Chapter 3 is precisely where we find ourselves in terms of our calendar. We're just emerging from the Christmas story, aren't we? We're just coming out of the Christmas story. But as we discover in this same chapter, Matthew 3, Jesus is no longer a child. We've fast-forwarded from that Christmas story about 30 years, and here we are with the man Jesus. Or we'll, we'll, we'll see him, we saw him later in this chapter. We will focus on the beginning first uh, uh 12 verses of this chapter, again, taking place some 30 years after the Christmas story. Listen to what Matthew tells us. In those days, John the Baptist, he didn't go to a Baptist church, just to be clear, you guys. He was a baptizer. John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What was he preaching? Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is near. It is imminent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this, Matthew tells us, is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food out there in the wilderness was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about or along the Jordan River were going out to him. And they were baptized by John in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God, for I tell you, says John, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Him whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, I think most of you recognize that what's being described here in Matthew chapter 3 is the beginning of a movement far, far, far more influential than even the Protestant Reformation. This movement, what we're reading about here, is the formal beginning of the life-restoring, universe-altering ministry of Jesus Christ. This is it. Oh, of course, there were lots of other things that came before this. There were lots of other pieces that were put into place by God to prepare the way for Jesus coming into our world, right? We, ter- we heard about and we celebrated and we rejoiced in the Christmas story uh, last month. We did that. But this is really the formal beginning. So, of course, without that first century, this first century movement in the Middle East, there would be no 16th century Reformation movement in Europe. The one comes before the other. The one is the foundation of the other. But please don't miss this. Just as in Germany, 15 centuries later, the movement that begins right here in Matthew chapter 3 with John, this movement also begins with a declaration involving, you guessed it, repentance. There it is again, right at the beginning. Repentance. Did you hear it in verse 2? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let's do this. Let's dig into this passage and let it teach us, let God teach us about repentance. Drawing from this text, and we'll pull in some other verses 
as we're able to do that. So to better understand repentance, to better, under, to better recognize personally genuine repentance, let me give you four simple observations from this story about John the baptizer. First of all, we'll put these up on the screen too. First of all, repentance is ultimately the call of God. Repentance is ultimately the call of God. As verses 1 through 4 make clear, this call to repent was not something that John thought up one day when he was munching on locust bodies, right? And dipping them in honey and maybe eating those locusts. That's not something he just dreamed up, this idea of repent. John was simply the messenger. John was the mouthpiece. As Matthew points out, John not only dressed like and lived like some of the Old Testament prophets, but he was in fact the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. John was the fulfillment specifically of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, quoted here in chapter, chapter 3, verse 3. And of course, John was the fulfillment of other verses. I'm thinking of Malachi chapter 4, the very last chapter of the Old Testament as it's laid out in our Bible. When it talks about the coming, behold, the coming day of the Lord and Elijah will come, right? Elijah will come. What did Jesus say about John? He was Elijah. Right? He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was the fulfillment of that prophecy. So John is the fulfillment of that prophecy. What does that mean? It means that this message that he's declaring is the message of God. It's the call of God. So if you hear me or any other person, any other teacher or preacher, or anyone talking about repentance and calling you to repent, know that it's not that person speaking, it is God speaking. It is God calling out to you. Even this very morning, God is calling out to you personally. His voice goes out. He's talking to you. He's speaking to your heart, saying, repent. Repent. The Apostle Paul would later declare this. Take a look. It is God who now commands all people everywhere to repent, he told the Greeks in Athens, Acts 17, verse 30. In fact, as Paul writes to the Romans, as he wrote long ago to the Romans, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Don't you love that? It's not the, it's not the stick that God's saying, I want you to get to repentance, so I'm like, behind you going like, hellfire, whap, oh, consequences, bam. Is that in Scripture? Of course it is. God loves us too much not to be truthful to us about our eternal destiny, doesn't he? But he puts the carrot out in front of us and says, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Think about every blessing that you have. The God who, Acts 17, gives us life and breath and everything, every good thing that you have, every good thing that you've experienced, everything that you treasure in your heart, is a gift from God. It's the blessing of God. The fact that you're here today is the blessing of God. And all of it is meant to stop you and to say, why do I, a sinner, deserve to receive such blessing? What am I doing with the life that I have been entrusted with? You see, it, 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 it's meant to show us that God is so good and we are so undeserving and, so, and usually such ungr ungrateful people. Turning created things, gifts, turning them into idols, letting them be the priority in our life. 
rather than God, the one who loves us and who made us. You see, and that kindness is meant to drive us that we say, I repent. <laughs> I repent in view of your kindness. Such a beautiful verse. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. So first of all, repentance is ultimately the call of God. Do we hear Him calling to us? Number two, take a look. Number two, repentance means a new heart posture away from sin. If you want a very simple definition of repentance, then it's this. A heart posture away from sin. A heart posture away from sin. That's what repentance is. In verses 5 and 6, take a look. Matthew 3, the writer here is describing the incredible response to God's call for repentance through the ministry of John. As that call went out, as word got out of what was happening with John, not 20 or 30 people, not hundreds of people, thousands of people were going out to the Jordan River to be baptized. Thousands of people. But notice what else they were doing according to verse 6. They were also confessing their sins. They were confessing their sins. Well, no, duh. (laughs) This is a baptism of repentance. Of course they were confessing their sins. Since repentance means or involves a new heart posture away from sin. A new heart posture away from sin. Of course they were confessing their sins. Sins once coveted and consumed and concealed in the dark are now confessed in the light. Yeah, that sounds like repentance. That's good evidence, isn't it? It's good evidence for a change of heart when you see people confessing their sins, maybe coming out to be baptized. It's good evidence of what's happening inside. In the New Testament, to repent is specifically to repent of wickedness. Romans, uh, sorry, Acts 8.22. It's to repent of things like impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality. 2 Corinthians 12.21. To repent of. To repent of one's sinful works or deeds. Revelation 2.22. Revelation 9.20 and 16.11. It's to repent of these things. As Paul would later describe... In 2 Corinthians, take a look here on the screen, 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Think about that progression there. Think about your own hearts. What grieves you? Yeah, I know the loss of a loved one or, you know, something like super tragic that you're involved in. But what else grieves you? What What else hangs heavy on your heart? Godly grief, it says here, produces a repentance that leads to salvation. So think about this. Think about repentance as a closed fist turning into an open hand. So simple definition of repentance, heart posture away from sin. Take note of that. Simple action to help you think about what repentance is. A closed fist turning to an open hand. Now think about what the closed fist does. Think about the closed fist. Just look at mine. What a perfect picture of the sinner's heart. The closed fist. 
What is repentance? It's the open hand. That transition, that change is what the Bible describes as repentance. So when you are grieved about this, when this weighs heavy on you, this fist, by how toxic this closed fist really is according to God's Word, there is a new heart posture that then pushes sin away rather than continuing to embrace it. Now we'll talk about why it's so important that we're saying it's a heart posture. Third, take a look on the screen, number three, repentance always bears sin-refusing, God-obeying fruit. This is not the only verse here that says this. There are several others that really drive this home. Repentance always bears sin-refusing, God-obeying fruit. As we read in verses 7 through 10, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, was skeptical of the Jewish religious leaders who were coming out to be baptized. He was not seeker-sensitive, was he? (laughs) Somebody from today should have gone back in time and told John to maybe be a little more seeker-sensitive because he's saying, you brood of vipers, not like, hey, we happen to have in our company today the esteemed Pharisees from Jerusalem. Welcome, you guys. Come on in. You know, come on into the waters. The water is fine. No, he's not doing that. You brood of vipers. John being unloving? No, he's being the most loving he can be. He's being the most loving he can be. You brood of vipers, who warned you about fleeing from the wrath to come? In the question, he's laying out the reality, the truth of the matter. There is a wrath to come. And you better be here. You should be here because you're running from it. (laughs) Because you are trying to escape that wrath to come. Because you recognize that you stand guilty before God. You're like poisonous snake. Is that why you're here? Is that why you've come? So as John is, as John is skeptical about these leaders, uh, as they're coming out, he confronts them. You see, John knew what Jesus would later point out in just a couple of chapters. You remember that? What did he say about these kinds of leaders? He called them hypocrites. Hypocrites in Greek, hypocrites. What were what were hypocrites? Common word for a- actor. An actor on the stage. These men were hypocrites. They were actors. That is, whether it was prayer or giving to the poor or fasting, what would they do? They would go out for everyone to see them. And they would perform so that people would praise them and go, Oh, so righteous, so holy. Look at that guy. John knows that there's a very good chance that they've come out to him for this exact same reason. A very small price to pay to go out and be dunked in the water by John in order to maintain a look of righteousness before the people. Because everyone was going out. Everyone, John was the, uh, it, he, was, he was the name, the big name. He's mentioned outside of the Bible too in the works of Josephus, John the Baptist. He was well known. His ministry made quite an impact. Right? Remember, remember the Apostle Paul even found back, uh, disciples of John the Baptist later on, like up in uh, Asia Minor. <laughs> they were still wandering around up by Ephesus. He ran into these guys. So, these guys, these Pharisees and Sadducees, these Jewish leaders, 
this was tempting for them to go out and want to kind of be part of the mix and look like, you know, make way, everyone, make way. We're coming out to the river to be baptized ourselves. Oh, of course you are, you know. You're the holiest guy on my block. Here he comes. What does John tell them? If everyone else was going to be baptized, these guys are going. But as John tells them in verse 8, a genuinely new heart posture away from sin will show itself in a genuinely new lifestyle of fruitfulness for God. I think we have that. I think I have that on a slide. Do I? There it is. A genuinely new heart posture away from sin. That's repentance, right? How we were defining it. Will show itself in a genuinely new lifestyle of fruitfulness for God. That's the whole basis of everything John is saying to them. Now to be clear, to be clear, we need to be clear. This outward change is not repentance itself. It is the fruit of repentance as John describes it here. Right? If you guys are coming out, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just come out and get baptized. Let it be shown that your repentance is genuine by humbling yourselves before God and doing all the things that Jesus would later point out to these, these leaders. Right? Why are you doing all of this but you're forgetting things like mercy and justice and love? Why aren't you helping the guy on the side of the road? Why are you pushing away these sinners, right, who are dirty and you don't want them around you when you should be going after them like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep? John is saying, why aren't you, why aren't you living that way? You should be living that way if you are genuinely repentant because that's what repentance does. That's what repentance produces. But a new life posture, right? It's the fruit of repentance. The outward change is the fruit of repentance. But that new life posture away from sin is strong evidence of a new heart posture away from sin. When I see somebody who loves Christ and is serving others humbly, and they talk about being repentant of their sins, it carries some weight, doesn't it? It really, it really comes through loud and clear. This person wants what God wants not just what they want for their life. When that is lacking, when somebody says, I repent, and yet there's zero change in their life, their attitude, their perspective, their orientation in terms of sin and living in this world, when there is zero change, we should be suspicious. Exactly like John is here, suspicious. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? He also points out that there is a judgment coming. He's absolutely clear about that, isn't he? A judgment is coming, and that fact should sober everyone about the need for genuine repentance. So getting baptized, like these guys thought they could just do, get dunked, right? Or church membership. For them, it was, we're children of Abraham. We, you know, we went to the membership class. We signed a little card. We... You know, we're faithful attenders. We're children of Abraham or a prayed prayer or human inventions like indulgences. None of these things can give us any genuine assurance apart from genuine repentance and its fruit. Does that make sense? That's what John is telling us. That's what God is telling us. 
not to say, well, I feel like I'm, I'm good with God because I, I, go to ch- I go to church, because I bought an indulgence 500 years ago, because I got baptized, because I went down front at a church service, because I did whatever it is. Genuine repentance that leads to salvation, that repentance shows itself in the life of a sin in somebody. How could it not? It changes us from the inside out. Now, am I saying you have to be perfect in every way? Of course not. No. Are you going to struggle with sin the rest of your life? Yes. You're going to continue to struggle with sin. But do you struggle with sin? That's the question. Do you really struggle with sin? Or do you just kind of lay on this like, you know, candy river of sin? Hey, I'm good. I'm just floating away with the world. Or is it a fight? Is it always a battle? Is it a, I've fallen, I've made a mistake, I've said what I shouldn't have said, I'm, I'm in this terrible mindset. God help me, reaching out. I want your help. I need change in my life, God. Right? Is it that struggle? Is it that battle? That's that's fruit of repentance right there. That's God at work in your life, helping you to see that and saying, wow, I know I'm not perfect and I'll never be perfect in this life, but I recognize there are things in my life, God, I need to bring to you. Just like these people. What were they doing? Getting baptized, but they're also confessing their sins to God. Shouldn't that be our heart as well? That's genuine fruit of repentance. So where is all of this leading? It's leading us exactly where this passage is leading us. It's leading us to Jesus. It's leading us to Jesus. If it doesn't lead us to Jesus, it's no good. Don't listen to me. (laughs) It should lead us to Jesus. Fourth, above all, repentance prepares our heart for Christ. Take a look here. Repentance prepares our hearts for Christ. Look back at verses 11 and 12 of Matthew 3. While John's ministry was the beginning of a powerful movement, it was merely the preparation phase, wasn't it? He was preparing the way. John was baptizing with plain old water. Jordan River water. Yeah, I, I got you. I know people go over there just to get baptized because when they come home, they probably have a little bottle, you know, with Jordan River water sitting on their bookshelf or, you know, by their, on their nightstand or something like that. It's Jordan River water. I can't tell you anything about how clean it is or what it has these days in terms of chemicals or whatever. It's Jordan River water. But brothers and sisters, it's just water. It was just water. It was a beautiful symbol of cleansing for those who had a new heart posture away from sin. Baptism of repentance. That's what it was. Beautiful symbol of cleansing for those who had this new heart posture away from sin, but it was still just water. John knew this. He wasn't selling it anything more than that. He was telling people very clearly, like we read here, this isn't it. This is merely getting ready for it. This is really the prelude. It's coming. Get ready. That's what I'm doing out here, folks. Get ready. It's coming. He's coming. So, in contrast to John, the exalted one for whom John was preparing the way, the one that John was not even worthy to untie his sandals, to carry his sandals, this one would immerse them, not in water, but in the very 
Spirit of God. What a picture. Christ being immersed in the Spirit of God. Being cleansed by the Spirit of God. Coming out of the water as unto new life. The very Spirit of God. He would immerse them in the very Spirit of God, while others, He would one day immerse them in the very fires of judgment. That's what the text says. Right? That's what the text says. The very fires of judgment. But even when Jesus Christ arrived, even when Jesus came onto the scene, and you can keep reading past verse 12, and you can read all about that, Hopefully you did this past week. Even when Jesus arrived, the call remained the same. Repent. Remember, John's announcement in chapter 3, verse 2, is the exact same word-for-word message Jesus himself announces in chapter 4, verse 17. Take a look. Just read up. Flip the page. Look at chapter 4, verse 17. It's the same message. He's saying the same thing. So if genuine repentance is a closed fist turning into an open hand, we can't ever forget to whom God wants that open hand reaching. Jesus Christ. We can't ever forget what God wants to place in that open hand. New life in and through Jesus Christ. We can't ever forget to what God wants that open hand to hold fast, the confession of our faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Think about this. John's call to repentance in chapter 3, verse 2, our main verse, really the key verse of this whole passage, John's call to repentance in 3.2 was issued in light of what coming reality? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was, John was in effect saying this, the king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. Turn back. From your rebellion. Turn away from your schemes for self-rule. Turn away, turn back from this idea that you're on the throne. The king is coming. There is still time to enjoy the goodness of his reign. He is a good king. He is a merciful king. Turn back, there is still time. That's what John was saying. Do we hear that when we hear that verse? God wants you to hear that this morning. It's just as true today as it was then. Yeah, but Pastor Bryce, Jesus Christ was incarnate and he was walking down the dusty roads of Judea. Of course he was coming. Well, yeah, he was coming in that sense, but what he's not saying Jesus Christ in flesh is coming down the road. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is it still at hand? Absolutely. And the king of that kingdom is still coming. He's still arriving. And he's going to show up in bodily form. He's going to still come with that body that he has. The same body, although glorified now after his resurrection, the same body with which he 
walk those dusty roads in Judea and Galilee. He is coming. And so the same sense of urgency should be in us when we hear that. The King is coming. The King is coming. Turn back. Yes, repentance is itself an act of faith. So repentance involves faith, doesn't it? Repentance always involves faith. It's faith in God's warnings about sin and self. But it must go hand in hand with that trust that not only rejects sin, but also embraces the Savior. That's why, according to Acts 20.21, take a look on the screen, 20.21, the Apostle Paul spent his life doing what? Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. They are inseparable. Repentance and faith. To repent and to believe. They go together. As Jesus himself said, I have not come into this world to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners repentance is that us is that you brothers and sisters this morning we need to carefully consider the significance of this fact that as one book title expresses it repentance is the first word of the gospel right make a note of that write it down or put it in your head repentance is the first word of the gospel gospel is not proclaimed where repentance is not named gospel is not announced where there's no announcement of repentance a call for repentance repentance is the first word of the gospel now for some of you maybe the call of god is coming through louder than it ever has this morning it is coming through louder than it ever has for you it's time to finally respond to that call If there is a recognition in you this morning of how toxic that closed fist really is, according to God's word, that reality of yourself as a sinner, sin and self turned away from God. If there's that recognition in you, then my encouragement to you this morning is to turn and trust. Turn and trust. Turn, heart posture, away from sin, and trust that Jesus is exactly who you need to rescue you, to deliver you, to change you. Turn and trust that Jesus is King, that through His death and resurrection, there really is hope of forgiveness, of freedom, of a forever with God. This is, of course, what Hebrews 6 describes. Take a look at this verse. Hebrews 6, verse 1 Described as laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. There's that repentant believe. There's that repentance and faith. It's called a foundation in Hebrews. Some of you still need to lay that foundation. Hear the voice of God speaking to you this morning. Respond to his voice. Speaking of great movements of God in history for every true child of God. For every true disciple of Christ, for every true Christian, that movement of grace in my heart, in your heart, 
that movement of grace absolutely and also started with repentance. You can't be a Christian if it didn't. You can't believe in Christ. You can't truly know eternal life without repentance. Every true disciple of Jesus builds on a foundation of sincere repentance and saving faith. Apart from those, no one is saved according to God's word. So we are building on that foundation, brothers and sisters. So think about this. What about your daily pursuit of Jesus? Are you following after the master in your life? Are you looking to him? Are you talking with him? Are you each day giving thanks to him? Thank you for dying for me that I might live for you. Thank you for beating death that I might know hope of eternal life forever and ever. That I don't have to live in fear of death. Thank you for showing me the way. You're the perfect guide, Lord Jesus, my loving leader. Right? Are you pursuing him, talking with him, looking to him, learning about him? If you are, then what about this in our daily pursuit? Well, as our brother Martin Luther reminded us a little over 500 years ago, here it is again. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Who's going to say that as a Christian that they're not supposed to have a heart posture away from sin? <laughs> you, you, yeah, you're probably not well versed in the, in the Word of God if you're going to say that because that's just not what the Bible teaches. We want to have a heart, heart posture away from sin. We do want to have a heart posture away from sin. Will we struggle with that? Of course we will. But that's what repentance is. It's that heart posture turning. It's that turning within us, that change. Repentance, therefore, is not simply the foundation of our faith. It is a tool with which we continue to build in response to that ongoing battle with sin in our life. Repentance is that tool. You see, the Jesus who cried out repent in his earthly ministry, Matthew 4.17, that Jesus who said, I, I came to call not the righteous, call, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, that same Jesus is the one who eight times in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, eight times calls his people to repent. In fact, listen to the word of Jesus himself this morning. Hear him speaking to you, brother, sister. This is Revelation three nineteen. Those whom I love, I reprove, and discipline. So be zealous and repent. How do those words stir you this morning? Child of God. How do those words stir you? Let me suggest this for application. Maybe what God is calling us to this morning is a continuing or a renewed sensitivity to sin and self in our lives and to a regular practice of humbly hearing Jesus in both Matthew 4.17 and Revelation 3.19. Maybe those two verses become for us helpful guideposts each day to build with this tool of repentance. 
Bryce, says Jesus, says my Lord to me, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Lord is near me. Not only is the Lord near me, which should provoke repentance in me, but also the kingdom of heaven is at hand. My days in this world are numbered. The days of this age are numbered. If that doesn't put things into perspective for us, that the king is coming, I don't know what will. He's coming and everything will be changed. Why are we holding so tightly? Why are we so immersed in the rat race of this world? Why are we turning, making into idols the good gifts that God has given us? Why are we making temporary fleeting things into ultimate things? Why are we asking them to give us things they could never give us? To repent is to say, I recognize that. I don't want that. I'm turning away from that. Grieves my heart to think about that. So repent the kingdom of Heaven is at hand, brothers and sisters. Talk about giving us perspective and, and stirring up genuine repentance in us. But there's that other verse too. Bryce says Jesus to me, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. You might think, well, pastor, it sounds like you think that you need to repent every single day. I do. And so do you. So do you. And yeah, I know there's the popular ones. Man, I lost my temper again. Oh, you know, whatever the pet sin is for you, you're like, oh, I got to repent of that. But there's so much more that God's word is showing us about how we veer off and how we make things that shouldn't be ultimate things into ultimate things. How we've become so comfortable in our faith. How we've traded the radical call of discipleship for middle class conformity. Right? How we, how we play the game of consumeristic church. But we're not the church of the redeemed. Loving each other with holy love. Heaven bent on seeing lives transformed. Giving of ourselves, that's all. God wants to show you amazing things when you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Right? When you do, you see... You see all of the ways that your heart is so selfish, me-centered. You see all of the ugliness of this world and you go, I don't want that in my life. Why am I longing for that? You see, you see it when you look at Jesus Christ. And that stirs up repentance in us. Two verses for you. Write them down. Keep them by your nightstand. Put them in your Bible. Put them on your phone as a pop-up reminder, as an alarm on your calendar. Put them on your refrigerator. Write them on uh, your bathroom mirror with lipstick or some Sharpie or whatever. <laughs> Write them down. And you know what, brothers and sisters? When that happens, do you know what comes next when we're provoked and stirred up for repentance? What comes next is the start, once again, of a beautiful movement of God. 
a beautiful movement of God for that day, for that week, for a new week ahead, for eternity, for our eternal good, a movement of God for the good of others in our lives, a movement of God above all for the glory of the God to whom we turn. Amen? Do you want that beautiful movement of God? Start with repentance. Let's pray. Let's ask God that very thing to do that work in our hearts.